and welcome to another way overdue episode of The Gaming Moguls, the only podcast that makes you go left, right, right, left, 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 right, left, 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 right, right, left, left, right, left, right, 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 left, left, right. I still don't know that joke. You keep on saying it. I'm like, it's going to click in. Um, Jake, that's what you do when you do the pub meeple ranking engine. Uh, you go left. See, I right, do the up arrow left, a lot left, too because right. I, I, I have regrets about what I'd selected and I have to go back and make sure I made the right choice. Yeah, that's true. I do that too every once in a while. If I had thrown an up arrow in there, you'd have probably gotten the joke, but there it is. So what that means, fellow listeners, is that it is time to review our 2021 top 20 games of the year for each of us. <laughs> yeah. Once again, uh, just like last year, we went through and used the Pub Meeple ranking engine and uh, put all of our games in there and uh, kind of excited to show you where our mind is at because our mind went different places this year. It's kind of fun to see where that all moves. Yeah, no, it's gonna be really fun. And so in this episode, we're just doing Mr. Mark's top 20 and then we'll be doing mine in the next one. For sure. Well, it's something we like to do every year. And it's interesting to see how how the year went morphs. Like, did we play a lot as a group? Did we play with our families? Did we, you know, have a big train game group going on or totally whatever else? Definitely um, appeals to what our likes for the year are and the kind of stuff we played in our opinion on those games. If I were going to summarize a little bit about how my top 20 worked out this year, looking at it, I really moved towards the evergreen titles this year, and that was fun to see. And the reason being is that this year, I really made an effort to play less titles more often. And what that's caused to happen is that games that I played one time and thought were kind of shiny didn't make the list. So it's really kind of a well, much better vetted list than I think it's been in the past. However, I do have a follow-up question. Do you think this is reflective of the games you've been playing recently or a more idyllic Mount Rushmore is the term I always kind of see people say? I do actually think this is pretty Mount Rushmore because if you look at the ones that are in my top 25, a lot of those I have played recently. But then again, I've played them recently because they're in my top 25. Right. It's the chicken, the egg issue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been playing the games that are really the games that are special to me, and I really want to make a point of getting played. It sort of makes sense that those would gravitate themselves into my top 25. So absolutely. Yeah. You know, there are a couple of aspirational games in there that I I put in more due to the concept of them than the actual play them a lot. Like, it's been a minute since I've played Indonesia, Jake, but uh, oops, spoiler. (laughs) That doesn't change what I think about the game and what a masterpiece it is. Cool. Well, that sounds great. I'm I'm excited to start it. Let's let's leave no more intro. Let's just do this. We got a lot of games to cover. <laughs> and uh, for those that are waiting, Jake is just going to crack wise along with us. He's saving his list for next time. So be on the lookout for Jake's list coming up uh, next episode. So before we get into it, here's how I came up with my list. I did not want to match all 400 games I'd played or something like that versus each other, which would have been like 2,000 selections and. It makes a very meaningless list. So what I did is I culled down to only talking about things that I ranked seven and a half or better, which still was like 500 matches. Probably could have been a little more selective than that, but whatever. I also got rid of fillers, unless it's a filler that you're going to play as a session. And that's an important thing because there's a lot of fillers that you don't just play one time. You might play them several hands of it or a series of it or something like that or several missions. There's a lot of different ways to look at that. So if it was a filler that you play multiple times, that stayed in. Also, too, there's one 25-pound omission, which I'll talk about later. 
All right. Well, that sounds great. Good methodology. I did the same thing for mine, but I'll talk a little bit more about mine next week. It's just, I don't know. These are our lists. I feel like it's so weird if people like get really needy about like making sure you rank every single game. No, it's my list. I don't care what you think. We used to do 18xx groups. Now we don't. Whatever. It's, 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 it's our list, not yours. So before we start with your top 20, why don't you give the couple of honorable mentions that didn't quite make the top 20 that we won't talk about, but at least need to be deserved to be mentioned here real quick. Yeah. Number 25, Glory to Rome. That fell quite a bit from the year before. I think it was, you know, I had it at 10 the year before, which I think was probably overranked. Like, I love Glory to Rome, but 25 feels like a right spot for it. Yeah, really good game, but it is what it is. Yep. Uh, number 24, Ra. Man, I, I, I can't imagine a life without Ra. That is probably my favorite of the Reiner Knizia auction games. That is a big category of games. That's, that, that, that's high praise. For sure. Number 23, Caverna, the Cave Farmers. Number 22, A Feast for Odin. So, hey, all you people accuse me of having nothing but Uwe Rosenberg games. That was funny. They fell out of the top 20. Wasn't that 2019? <laughs> there were just nothing but Uwe. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> there was lots of them. And then uh, number 21, just barely out of the list, is Twa, that Pearl Games classic about rolling dice and stealing them from other people. Wonderful. All right, now we're into the big part of this. We're doing the regular top 20 that we've always done. Um, this is your fourth biggest gainer on the list. I'm honestly kind of surprised it's up here. It is, but, you know, every time I play it, I, I, I think, man, this is a great game, and I need to play this more often, because thematically, it hits on all cylinders. This is Vita Lacerda's The Gallerist. It's the only Vita Lacerda game you're going to hear in my top 20. I do like Vita, but I've cooled on him like a lot of people have. But to me, the uh, the shining star out of the collection is the gallerist. Probably got the shortest play length. It probably has the easiest teach, and it, the, the theme all makes sense. It's a Vita Lacerda game that even kind of normie Euro players can play and enjoy. Yeah, it's it, it just works. It's a game about buying and selling art. What you want to do is you want to discover artists. You want to have them produce art. You want to promote that art. And then you want to sell that art and display it for a whole bunch of money. Like I said, just bang on simple with the theme and presentation on that's absolutely beautiful. Certainly, I could get a whole bunch of reps on to try to get better at. I think it makes sense that it's your it's gained so much because it is kind of the like ideal Vital Lacerda. And I think people in our kind of, uh, I don't know, segment of games have kind of cooled on Vital Lacerda. Definitely, definitely. And it's kind of almost become a meme in a lot of circles, too, being like, well, it's just Vital. It's just rules for rules sake and all that stuff. And I think the gallerist is what he should be known for, as it is a really good game. It is complicated. There's a lot of substeps, and there's a lot of decisions based off of small decisions. Like you really only have like a handful of choices, like five, I think, right? Because you can yep. either take one of the actions or you can like do something else. But it it just works, but it's still crunchy enough that you get that Vital, you feel smart because you learned how to play the game. Yeah, like he, I think he had the balance right there. You know, yeah. later on, he got too many rules for rules sake and too many interlocking mechanisms. This one is the sweet spot where it's yes. crunchy yet easy to understand and not overwhelming. Yeah, I completely agree. I like this one. This is an always play for me. Probably if I gun to my head made me forced to buy one of these games, I'd absolutely buy this one. So right on. Uh, so that's number 20 up 23 spots from 2020. It was number 43 last year. Absolutely. So now moving from uh, art to medieval art, 
What's your number 19? <laughs> Ugly Renaissance guys. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What's the guy's name? Uh, uh, Franz Klaus. No, Clemens um, Franz. Clemens Franz artwork. Yes. Some, a fine example of Clemens well, Franz revival period. Yeah, it's so funny because he's in every single game and he has, clearly has a style. You know, I mean, he's the guy who did the Agricola art and all of the um, Euro games kind of used him for a long time. But for whatever reason, when he did Orleans, he like was really interested in medieval art where they have the really bad perspectives. Yeah. And it's yeah, everything's so kind of 3D forced into weird 2D. Yeah, it's hilarious. It, it looks like those weird snails in the sides of a medieval art paintings. But <laughs> And as Jake mentioned, that game is is Orleans clocking in at number 19 down 10 spots for last year. Has Orleans really fallen that far? Not for any reason. I think it's just I found out I liked other stuff better. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I, I don't know. Orleans is one of those games that we have played enough where I wonder if it's starting to maybe not wax, but it's it's hard to love something when you're really aware of it and there's nothing else to grow into with it, you know? Yeah. And maybe maybe that's just the thing is it's just sort of settled into middle age, right? It's always going to be an all star game, not the starting pitcher anymore. Smolder, not burning, if you will. You know? yeah. yeah, that's a good take. Orleans, the sort of proto bag builder, the first game to really create that concept and do it perfectly where you're trying to uh, build your bag, pull workers out, place them into spots and do actions with them, like build routes and establish trading houses and get resources and all kinds of things like that, as well as get more workers for your bag. Plays out in a very reasonable amount of time. I mean, it's a fixed number of rounds and has a nice balance of thinky and interaction and uh, puzzle solving all rolled into one. Gotcha. Yeah. I do need to try the intrigue variant to this one. I was the, the trade variant is my, uh, you know, that's my go-to canon way of playing it these days with the trade and intrigue expansion. I, I I've lately kind of been in a mean mood where I just being that I've kind of been there and done it with the trade expansion. I kind of feel like trying the mean variant of it just to see what it's like. Yeah, I'd like to try. I, I don't know. I've, I I feel like I'm never in, in charge of playing Orleans, but I, I, I like I'm never in charge of the destiny of making sure Orleans is played. But every single time that I play it, I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I'd like to try a mean version. I think it is a little bit and this is maybe a good thing for some bad thing for other, but it is a bit generic Euro the way we play it. It's a very good generic Euro, but it is generic Euro. Very much, very much. And a lot of it comes down to the competition over who gets the citizens and who gets up the trail first, mm-hmm. who gets up the knowledge trail first. But we That's, like that. We like that. Yep. And it, it's really good at that. But if there's a different flavor using the same system, that could be pretty fun. Or, like I said, the mean stuff that actually makes you go back. <laughs> oh, wait, right. k- kicks over your sandcastle. Well, I think a few of our uh, engine building friends would not like that so much. Yeah, we'll see. But it's always fun to kick their stuff. So that's number 19, Orleans. Designed by Reiner Stockhausen and published in 2014. Number 18 is the only splatter in my top 20. That's Indonesia, the game that has my favorite gameplay of all the splatter games and the worst art. Is that possible? Maybe. Mine too. My favorite too. So much to like about this game. This is a game where you're building trading routes in the islands of Indonesia and you're creating things like rubber and oil and siap faji and growing rice and making TV dinners and that whole thing. And then you're trying to ship them. And where this really gets interactive and mean is the fact that you can hostily cause mergers to happen and you can merger somebody's company right out from underneath them, even if you don't win it. The rule set on this one is is so simple, Jake. Why is it we don't play this one more often? It takes a really long time Does and it? it's mean. Yeah, yeah it takes that's less. definitely mean. The reason why I think we view it to take less time. I played this at 
I want to say a cabin con when we um, got together this past fall. Yep. It like took a bit. It like was a while. Usually I try to like justify that games are pretty quick and I'll do my like little mental math being like, oh, you went to the bathroom. So that takes half an hour off the game. I didn't do that with Indonesia. I, I remember looking down and being like, that was like a three hour, hour experience and we were moving. Okay. And it was five player and, and five player is the fastest way to play it. For some reason, I've always perceived that game as being shorter than it is. Yeah, maybe. I think it depends. It can develop certain ways and how mean people are going to be with um, the actual bidding in regards to the um, mergers and acquisition. But it took a while. The game's really ugly, as you mentioned. My main challenge this one is the egregious use of the Scriptina font, which has been wildly overused by every wedding photographer on the planet and is absolutely illegible. Absolutely. Because you you obviously know the names of all of the, all of the Indonesian islands. Off the top of your head, correct? <laughs> yes. I'm sure that's quite helpful to you. Well, because to, I sure to, to as heck read can't those. read them. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's 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 all Greek to me. It's, it's all Indonesian to me, I guess. My main issue with this game is the map is just not legible, not from a font standpoint, but from a like that spot right south of, uh, I can't remember even the spot, but where there's like three different waterways that are all meeting in one confluence right mm-hmm. there. Yeah, that's that's bad, but... So this is a game I like so much that I just acquired a second copy of it. I was dumb and sold a copy of it a couple of years ago because I figured ah, I'm never going to play this without Jake and then been regretting it ever since. Through a trade opportunity earlier this summer, I actually reacquired a pretty much new copy of it. So now, Jake, I can do my set my evil plan into motion to make a oversized map using the really nicely done redraw of the map that is scaled perfectly to the accidentally oversized resources that come inside the box. And that's going to be amazing. That's going to work out well. Because that was going to be my follow-up question. Because every time that I bring Indonesia, I love playing Indonesian. I actually have brought it a decent amount the last couple of weeks. But every time I have that, I have some like existential crisis that I need to upgrade some components in it, whether it be putting new ships in it, putting more colored ships in it, putting some other molds of ships in it, or replacing some of the like cities or something like that. And it's, it's getting out of hand. My game is close to the ship of Theseus or whatever it is, <laughs> where it's maybe no longer the same game. I think the cards and the boards pretty much the only thing I'm still using from the original version. Yeah, indeed. No, I definitely need to do some upgrading on mine. But like I said, Rather than getting the little new resources that you have, I think I'm going with a giant map, a giant con-sized map that I can have my oversized resources fit on perfectly. There is a redraw, too, that just uses cubes because they're just colored cubes, you know? Right, right. I think we're talking about the same redraw, but... Oh, you are? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that gets rid of the scriptina, it clarifies the map issues, looks nicer, no downside to it. Absolutely. All right, well, that is the Splatter Spell and Classic from 2005, Indonesia. Number 17 went up six. This is maybe one of the more controversial games on my list that people love or they hate because they've had a really awful time playing it. I've loved it every time, even when I get my butt handed to me, because it's such a good game that even when you're getting beaten, the puzzle is so delicious and it's so mean that I, I still enjoy it, even if it's not working out well for me. And that game is Barrage. Barrage is a game about harnessing water as it flows down out of the mountains and building power plants and making profit out of those power plants. The problem is, is there's not very much water. And if you build your dam upstream from somebody else's, you take their water and then they suddenly don't score anything and they just get stuck in the water. Ha ha. And <laughs> literally don't play for a while. And some people can't cope with that, Jake. Yeah, that was one of them. <laughs> that was me. No, I, you, I, I joke. I Have you played this just once? 
I think just once. I said I'll play it anytime, and it's one of those games that I absolutely would. I have no like reservations against it. I think it's one of those games where it has a bad power, or it's been perceived to have a bad power. I'm putting this in air quotes. Like one of the special abilities isn't as good as the other ones. Yeah. Am I correct in that the Americans are like weak or something? There is, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's not really, you know, none of the powers are that super swingy. Right. So I have the expansion now, too, which comes with several more countries. So oh, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> you can easily swap that out. I actually, this is not a game that I have played recently for a lot of those reasons. I did play it a few times by Tabletop Simulator over COVID. But I think the last time I played a physical copy of it was like our very last night out before COVID hit. Oh, really? Wow. Did you not play it at our little, our little buddy con where we all tested? No, I didn't. We did not play it there then. Interesting. Could have no, no, we did. no, no, no. Huh. Okay. I need to vent for a moment here about Barrage. <laughs> oh, yeah? Uh, okay. So this is published by Cranio Creations. And I'm going gonna, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna to throw some shade at Cranio Creations right now. I love the game. I tend to bling out games that I really love. I designed and laser cut really beautiful resource wheels for this. They had a new Kickstarter for a new game. And by the way, sold a nice bunch of barrage upgrades. Like they had 3D boards and they had extra little cement mixer things. And they sold other laser cut resource wheels, which I didn't need. And they sold the metal coins, Jake. And I love metal coins. So literally, I backed this whole shoot and match just to get the metal coins. Absolutely. Smash cut 24 months later, or however long it took, my Kickstarter arrived. Sweet. I finally have my metal coins for Barrage. Except no, they gave me resource wheels, which I didn't need instead. Were you furious? I was, and they just kind of went, oh, sorry, we're out. Seriously? You can pick something else or just wait till our next one. That's hilarious. And they're going to keep your money? They did offer me a refund against the wheels. And I was so PO'd, I just... I just noped on it. I figured I'd sell the wheels to somebody else who wants them and That's keep it easy. Hilarious. Yeah. That's hilarious. So I still don't have metal coins for Barrage. Listeners, if anybody has a spare set of metal coins for Barrage, I'll hook your boy up, please. I'll pay you anything reasonable. Because <laughs> I don't want to wait another two years to not get them again. Man, I'm sure hoping that you do. So aside from your sad barrage of sad stories... That was your number 17 game, which you misspoke. It is down six from last year, not up six. Yep, it was number 11 last year. Correct, which was, and that game was designed by Tommaso Battista and Simone Luciani. Indeed, published by Cranio Creations. Garbage Creations is more like it. (laughs) Okay, number 16 stayed we actually went up a heck of a lot from from last year. This is one of the another one of the big gainers over the last year. And this was the game, Jake, that you, when I put this on the list, you went, wow, you like that game that much? Yeah, I did. And I still stand by it because we never play it. <laughs> I know. We never we never played. So I hate to bury the lead all the time. I always we, we always get in this mode where we talk for two minutes before we say what the dumb game is and keep everybody guessing. This game is Power Grid, the all time classic. Been in the, you know, the top 25 of board game geek forever. Designed by Friedman Fries, and I love everything about this game, Jake. And it's one of those games that I I call always the bridesmaid. Like, I bring it with every single time, because Power Grid is one of these games that plays great at five or six, at at high player count. And a lot of times we'll have five or six people come, so I'll bring it along to that. I don't know why it never gets played. I need to just bring that sometime and go, we're playing Power Grid. I have this theory that games that you play at high player counts get relegated to, like, be viewed as less good than they actually are because playing at like five is power grid's awesome at four right 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 
And like, I play a lot of train games and I don't mind train games at five. And a lot of them are best at five, but for like Euro games, it seems like a lot of Euro games are best at four, even if they play five. And so when you kind of sure. relegate games to the five, it's like, man, I wish I was playing at a lower player count the entire time that you're playing this. And then you like only do it then. Like for me, that was Concordia for the longest time. It was hard to like not be mad at Concordia because it was my five player. game. Yeah, no, I think I think it's kind of the same thing that you just you like you don't think to play Concordia when you have three players. Right. Even though I love Concordia. Right. So this is one you're going to see more often. I mean, it's been in my bag a lot this summer and I want to play me some more Power Grid because every time I've played it, it's been super, super thinky, super competitive and, and down to the wire most of the time, too. I've never met a financial game I don't like. And Power Grid is most certainly at least a little bit financial. And it's an auction game, too. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that you've ever met an auction game that you don't like. Yeah, I guess that, too. This has the Age of Steam upside, too, where there's like 50 maps for it. And I actually own eight or ten maps of which I've never played. Awesome. I love to play it. Unlike Age of Steam, though, I don't think there's new rules with every map. I think they're literally just different maps. I'm pretty sure I only played this game once. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah that basement. needs to change because this game. I great. know, I know. I mean, <laughs> a lot of great. your favorite games I've played once as like a token play. There's a handful I've played like two or three times of the ones that like I'm calling your games versus games that we both really enjoy. Sure, um, and games that I really like too. But there's somewhat of a disparity there, and I guess this is one of them. This one clearly is in the top of my list because it's a game that I recognize as being an evergreen that I will want to play just as much when I'm eighty. And I'll, gotcha. like, this is a game I will not tire of with all the maps and kind of a somewhat understandable theme and gameplay. I can see why it's there. It's a fun little game for sure. So again, up 17 from last year, clocking in at number 16 power grid by Friedman Fries all the way back in 2004. Jake, I, we missed a trick here. We should have gone through and calculated the average year of release on my top 25 because <laughs> I bet it's a while ago. These are actually fairly yeah. old games in most cases. Yeah, I mean, you got a game from the 80s coming up in a bit, too, so. For sure. Speaking of big jumpers on the list, number 15 is the biggest jumper of all of them for the same reason as Power Grid. This is Azul. Azul went up 50 spots this year. It was all the way down at number 65 last year. It should have gone up by more, to be honest. Azul is well. The I think it was abnormally low last year. I don't think it yes. should have been as low as it was last year. I think that um, we played the crap out of this game. Yeah, I've played it a bunch of times, and I I really think this has a rightful place in a permanent top 20, that this is a game that everybody loves. Every play is great. It doesn't take a long time to set up or teach the rules, and there's an awful lot of strategy. There's meanness. There's competition. for it, This game has everything in it, and it, it's a game that, again, if I'm just going to a family get-together and we might break out a game, Azul's probably going to be that game. Oh, it's 100% the game for me. I was kind of laughing. I was at uh, Fantasy Flight Games last night. Game Center, as it's called now. Mm. Walking through the list of random Cthulhu-themed games, <laughs> thinking, man, I, I just never see a game on the shelf that I just have to buy here anymore. And remembering back to the day when I walked in, saw a copy of Azul on the shelf, grabbed it, walked over to Kirk and said, Kirk, buy this. <laughs> and he's like, what? I'm like, just, just buy it. I just got a copy of it. It's fantastic. No chance you're not going to love this. Buy this. Mm. Fortunately, Kirk took my advice on that. And <laughs> I think I was I think I was vindicated on that uh, forced buy, but yeah. that just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, I don't know if it's us. I don't know if it's the game world, you know? Yeah, I don't know either. But um, this is certainly one. And like, I've always been looking at like, hey, how can I bling this out? You can't. Doesn't need it. 
it's pretty blinged out of the box. Yeah, I, I went through a phase two for a while where I thought you could replace the tiles or you could do, I still stand by the fact that this game would be made better with victory point chits instead of using that stupid tracker. Well, that's a good call. Yeah. Uh-huh. But there's no way to sever that part from your board and not make it look awkward. No, that's for sure. You'd have to make new boards. Correct. And so I was like, oh, why don't you make me new boards? And that'd probably be the only way. But that's not like blinging. That's like, I don't know, functionaling, which doesn't feel the same. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I can see like if you had like a cool board with nice wood inlays or something like that, some really yeah, high quality absolutely. thing. And this is a game that would be worth doing that for. But absolutely. But I don't know. Or anyway. actually buy it. Buy it. Oh, I know. Actually buy a second copy and fill in every grid with the little tiles on there to match the, so that you've actually got like an actual parquet floor that you're putting stuff on. Oh, that'd be Ooh, cool. that could be nice. Why don't we just build mm. a whole table with built-in <laughs> with Azul in spots? It. <laughs> it's got little dishes great. in it for the thing. Uh-huh, that'd be great. 100%. All right. That is number 15, Azul by Michael Kiesling, published by ne- Next Move and Plan B Games. All right. Your next one. I'm going to teach you some youth slang. Do you know what cap means? I do know what cap means, Jake. That's a term from the 80s. And Miami, it is? Probably Miami Vice, if I'm going to be honest. That's so funny. It's so <laughs> funny. For a while, when I, so I went to college in like the early teens. And then like fratty style was the exact same as like 1980s fratty style. And like preppy style, I shouldn't say fratty, but because I wasn't in a fraternity. But preppy style with the boat shoes and kind of like an 80s revival. So it's hilarious that cap is revival as a 1980s word. But this is cap. This is total cap. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. So I actually was thinking of the, uh, you like the gangster style. I'm, I'm a cap. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, you don't. So let's circle back. So you do not All know right. what cap means. Not in that context, apparently. Cap means like bull crap. Like I'm calling you out on this. This is total lies. I, I think you're being ridiculous or something like that. Let's see what Urban Dictionary does. While you describe the game, I will look up the definition on Urban Dictionary for you. You're throwing shade at me for my number 14 pick, Jake? Without a doubt. So I have played this half a dozen times, so I feel I've got a good hand. I've got my hands around it. I understand this. I just... All right. <sighs> Go ahead. Okay. I'll explain why I like it, and then uh, then then call me out and see if we if it's crap. So my number 14 game is Pax Porfiriana. It's funny. I think we, we, we've talked about this, about how we've talked about how much we like Pax games, but having said that, we don't play them very often. I think we... I think we're perceived as liking them more than we really actually play them. But this is one that actually the reason I've got this as high as it it has is because I have played this half a dozen times. I've actually played it enough that I really have developed a fondness for it. I can actually relate to the theme a little bit better. It's a theme that's based kind of late 19th century, early 20th century in America. Mm, it's not this heady Mexico. theme about Mexico. Yeah, well, the um, Americas in the Americas, yes, the Americas, sure. It's not this kind of heavy theme about like, well, it's the great game of intrigue in Afghanistan, like like Pax Pamir is. Not that that's bad, but this one's certainly a little more relatable. You're actually buying guns and stuff like that. You're going, you know, you're opening gun stores in Pax Furiana. So the Pax games, the central conceit is there's a market of cards that you're buying every year to build a tableau to do stuff right you kind of get some uh, you get some income every time and you build some loyalty points to something and then every so often there's an opportunity to try to win the game and like by overthrowing the leader or having enough loyalty or something like that and if you have enough when that card comes up of a certain type then you can claim victory problem is everybody else has ways to also gain that amount so that you don't have a plurality or majority of that stuff 
And um, as a result, there's a lot of kind of rock, paper, scissors that goes on just to keep somebody from winning until you can win. Hmm. That's sort of the general theme. And Pax Perfuriana is very much like that. I think this is the most approachable of the pack games, like the Pax games. Like this one makes sense. The, the cards say exactly what they do. There's a limited number of things they do. There's not a bunch of just kind of weird thematic things that it does. Oh, dude, cap, cap, cap. This is this is what are you talking about? Do we play the same game? Well, I've played it six times and you've played it once. So maybe I not played twice. Did I play it twice? We played it twice. Okay, Whatever. I've so- played it. I've played it significantly less than you. The, the point your point stands. So I just don't understand how you can say this in a world where Pax Premier exists. Pax Premier second edition. Pardon me. I understand every single point you're making makes sense in a world sans Pax Premier. Okay. Here's my thoughts on it. It is a good game. And I think the theme thing is the main thing you glum to. And I think the cards just do what they do and they don't get jargony, which I also think happens yeah, in Premier, yeah, Premier yeah. too, for what it's worth. Yeah. But man, it is, it is ugly as sin. No question there. The cards are a little bit more two-tier action-y. So if you do something, it takes a little bit longer for them to resolve compared to Premier. Sure. Right? I remember there being like a lot of tokens that moved around. <laughs> and that wouldn't really be a thing after I did something in um, Premier. But yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I, I can't believe that this is here and I don't want to ruin it for anybody else, but there may not be another PAX game on this list. I don't have anything bad to say about PAX Premier other than the fact that I don't know. It just didn't resonate with me. Like I, I didn't not like when I played it. And Pax Premier is shoot out the lights a thousand times more beautiful than Pax Perfuriana. Oh, absolutely. And that's what I was going to say. No comparison there whatsoever. But I've never had a game of Pax Premier where I sat back and went, wow, that was a great game. And I have with Pax Perfuriana a few times. Interesting. I wonder if it plays with smaller amounts of people better. Well, that's a good point. I mean, it's listed here on Board Game Geek as being best at four out of, you know, plays one to six. Best at four. So it's not, that's not that. I don't know. I'll, I'll chalk it up to tastes and be just fine with it. But I, yeah, I, I, I'm I just think confused. I wouldn't read any more in that than that. Yeah, because I'm looking at the cards here. They're pretty ugly, you know, and I'm looking at some of the cards and it's like each gains two gold for each of the connection cubes in Mexico. That's like pretty eventy, you know, and that's something that kind of doesn't really exist as much in Pamir. Mm-hmm. But interesting, interesting. All I'll say is interesting. I think, too, if we were going to put out all the packs, you know, if we were going to bring all the packs games and just set them out on a table on a Wednesday night with with the crew that normally comes on Wednesday night, that's the caveat. Guarantee Perfuriana is the one that's going to get picked and played. Interesting, because I'd still probably say, well, why don't we play Premier? Because it's the simplest and looks the best. Phil and Eric both really like Perfuriana quite a bit. Weird, because they didn't like Premier. Yeah, yeah. Super weird. Yeah, I think it's also most likely to get played if we're going to play a PAX game. Hmm. I agree with you. This is definitely a taste choice where a PAX game should be up there. This is the one that I have had the best gameplay buzz from playing. You know, you've talked about that a time, too, where you feel yeah, like I mean, you've never I, had the good game of PAX Premier. Well, I'm not saying PAX is like my favorite game in the world. And, and I certainly have my complaints with the, the whole system and Premier in general as well. But I just can't believe that this one's your, num- your number one favorite of that, of that genre of games. So far, although I still am weirdly fascinated by transhumanity, I, I would like to play that again sometime soon. Yeah, me too. Me too. So, because I, I, I don't believe we ever gave that a fair shake. Yeah, Pax Premier is not even in my top 30. It's number 34. It's <laughs> not in my top 50. <laughs> and that's, that's, my, that's my best one. Cool. Well, anywho, that's Pax Premier, designed by the Ecklins. Number 13, I recently just played this game a few weeks ago. I've played it a bunch of times. 
And the reason I've been playing it recently is my son is super into this game and wants to play it. Like whenever that, whenever my daughter and wife are away for a weekend, this is the game my son wants to play. Mm. And it's the the classic war game, Twilight Struggle. Number one on Board Game Geek forever and ever and ever. You know, come down a little bit, but it's still an all-star game about the Cold War. And it's a card-driven game where the eras match out the actual events that happened during the Cold War. You've got a big map where you're trying to place influence and kind of win those countries over for your side of political philosophy, whether it's the, you know, the East or the West. And you're laying out events that may be really good for you or really bad for you, depending on the case may be. I personally am a unbelievable sucker for anything having to do with the Cold War, Cold War arms race and kind of the, you know, the space race and the U.S. versus Russia and all the mm-hmm. crazy atomic bomb testing in the 1950s. And I just find all of that stuff super, super interesting. So this this theme is a 20 out of 10 for me. Like, I love everything about that theme. Hard stop. Well, and I think it's the ideal GMT art style, too, where it is super functional, but really nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and really nice. I got the uh, geek bit upgrades for it. Oh, for it's sure. Yeah, really but, nice. But, now. but even <laughs> even outside of that, like the the map just feels really nice. The cards are coded and kind of weird, but like it still feel really nice. Like it's it's a nice thing to look at. Yeah, no, I think the art is like <laughs> especially well done, given that it's a GMT game, and um, you know, it's a longer game. You're pro- it's probably going to be six hours. You know, five to six hours to play this whole thing out, and if if you can't manage to end it early little side tale about the last time i played it there's a card out there called bear trap that basically sticks you in a corner until you can you know and you have to keep discarding cards and rolling above a i don't know i think it's roll above a certain number and darn if i couldn't do it six turns in a row i could not roll above what i needed to roll six times in a row so i basically dumped my entire hand and didn't take a single turn that entire round i was 10 points ahead of william at the start of that little affair and was four points down from him when it was done. Ooh, it was 14 just point awful. swing. Love it. It was horrendous. Um, ended up winning. Oh, good for you. But um <laughs> but still with whom? Boy, with with what company? Or not company. Gosh, I, uh, I was the US. Yep. Gotcha. Country. I was the US. I managed to escape the early push of was it the US? I was the US, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, Russia, Russia, Russia wins early game, US win, wins late game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, that is Twilight Struggle, a game that uh, will never will never leave my collection. You know, I'm just I'm, I'm happy I've got somebody in my house that wants to play it a lot. So I can always fire up a game for that pretty much anytime I want to. He could certainly choose worse games, right? You remember the Star <laughs> yep. Wars? What was the Star Wars phase? Oh, goodness that, sakes. That yeah, I feel bad. About, oh, man, I still feel bad about that one. He um, background there. My son, I gave him a copy of Star Wars Rebellion. Yeah, yeah. that's it. yeah, yeah. yeah. And I gave it to him and he loves playing it and I hate it. Oh my God, I hate it. Dude, I hate that game too. I think (laughs) it's the worst game. Oh, I feel so bad because he was like, Dad, can we play Star Wars Rebellion? I'm like, no, no, I don't want to play that game. I'm not someone who usually defends the whole game should be fun thing, but it is so much more fun to be one side than the other in that game. Oh, 100%. It is really fun to be the Empire. It is really not fun to uh, to be the Rebels in this case. You just spend the entire game running and hiding and it sucks. So yep. anyway, I feel super bad about that because he wants to play it and it's his game and I just can't. I just can't. So I'm glad he's gotten into Twilight Struggle. Gotcha. Well, it's that, that's a good pivot. He chose well. 
All right, number 12. Number a 12 no is mover. A, a new, a, well, it's not a no mover. It's a new game on the list. Oh, that's what that means. Interesting. This one is brand new to the list. In fact, it was not on my list last year at all. You because haven't played it. I had not played it as of last year. This game is a classic by anybody's measure. It is actually the game that is number one on the ID list of Board Game Geek. It's not the number one game on Board Game Geek, but it's game ID number one. And this is the 1986 political classic Democker, a game about political parties attempting to gain power in Germany. Hmm. Super fun. Compelling theme, right? Incredibly <laughs> fun. And, and that's why it sat on the shelf for so long. I mean, I knew this was a classic. I heard so many people talk about what a, how, this, how they loved this game and it was their favorite game ever. And yet I could never get people excited about playing it until finally once I just decided come hell or high water, I was going to play it. I've played it five times since then. <laughs> this has been one of my most played games this year. I love this game, Jake. It's super thematic. It's super, um, every phase kind of makes sense. You're trying to win an election. So what do you do in an election? Well, you throw some rallies and then you buy some media coverage and then you sort of try to align your platform with what the state is. And if that still doesn't quite line up, then you use your media coverage to realign what they think to more <laughs> what you think. And then you send some of your, uh, you know, Doug Stampers from uh, House of Cards, from House of Cards. You send him off to your little state and have him do some political dirty dealings to shift the opinion more in your way. And at the end, you've got an election. Whoever wins the election gets a bunch of victory points and gets a bunch of money because, you know, the party that's in the lead tends to get really good donations. Who would have thought? Yeah. Game typically lasts either four or seven rounds. I've only played the four, which is a solid three hour game, but it's only a three hour game. Now that I think about it, I think we've knocked it out faster than that, too. And two, two and a half. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's a two and a half hour game. One of those two hour games that you're probably going to it's going to take up three hours to set up and clean up. Kind of surprisingly for the, you know, the weight and the length and everything. Each, each step, there's a lot of steps, but every step is pretty easy to understand. There's a really good guide sheet that goes along with it. Virtually everybody that's played it afterwards went, wow, that was great. I would love to play this again. And that's kind of why I've managed to play it six times this year. Well, the wild thing about this game, too, is when did Carl's Heinz Schmiel design this? 1986. This game is, is so stinking old. Older than me. It's so funny because I have so many other media forms where things are really old, you know, and it's fun to like collect older things, but not really in board games, yeah. which is weird. It simultaneously feels fresh, yet is a weird homage to 1980s gaming. Like there was randomness that was completely OK back in the 1980s. Oh, they loved kinda, it. That's kind of been polished out of games since then. And this still has some of that weird randomness in there. It's just like, oh, I just got completely torpedoed by by a uh, pole that I failed to control. Oh, well, there are ways to mitigate a lot of that randomness if you have a lot, enough money. But if you don't have enough money, you're kind of at the will of the people. And, hmm. um, you know, that's very much a throwback from the 80s is having that level of randomness in there. Yet somehow, I don't know if it's the art package or how it's all put together. I don't feel like I'm playing Umbreifenbreiter or something, you know, that's roll and move. I'd agree. I think it does show its age. And I, I think it was refreshing in showing its age. Yeah. If that made sense. Well, it was a unique experience. It didn't feel like every other game I've ever played. The theme really actually showed through very well in each of the actions. And that made it really move along very well as you're playing it. The other trick that I think the other magic trick that this has that this game does that I've never seen any other game do that is genius. And this is the thing that makes this such a classic to me is that a lot of games really bog down and slow down as you get into the game. You start unlocking things, you get 
spread out. You get your engine going and every turn gets slower and slower and slower. And I hate those games. Mm-hmm. Demacher, on the other hand, gets faster every round. One of the boards goes away and now you only have to deal with three boards, then two boards, then one board in the last round. The last round is lightning fast. So about the time you're kind of starting to get near the end, eh, I'm kind of done. That last round goes by in a heartbeat. And more games should do that because that really makes it seem like the pace continues at a rapid rate all the way through to the end. Yeah, completely agree. I'd really like to try the seven phase game of it. I'm in. I I, I would, too. I'd really be interested to see how that plays out. Does that also change the um, a handful of the rules that people were telling us are different? It doesn't. So. Oh, so you only have the second edition. It's not like. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's when you play the seven, it's not you're playing with the first edition rules. I assumed it was. Okay. Yeah, no, what happens is you have elections twice in a region. So you kind of get a chance to come back and have another election there. It's kind of fun. Apparently, you know, they definitely polished up the rules with the new uh, reprinting that was from a couple of years ago. You know, they polished some things and simplified it. Um, The old 1986 version is absolutely hairier. I don't know, Hmm. fiddlier, hairier, meaner. I mean, there's good and bad to it, but um, I think this really hits the sweet spot for our gaming group. It's, you know, a heavier game, but it plays slick as glass. And therefore, just the fact that maybe the other game's better, but this one gets played and that's the win. Gotcha. Cool. I'm I'm a fan. I like this game. Number 12, new one to the list, Demacher. Now your number 11 confuses me because it feels like the same game. <laughs> well, it um, and has the same name and they're not the same game, but for whatever <laughs> reason, my brain gets them confused. Yeah. So this is another new one to the list. One that I just added to my collection within the last year has quickly rocketed all the way up. And again, new one to the list, new game this year, but I've played this 10 times, enough times that definitely the shine is off of it, and I still love it. This, again, is an older game called Hansa Teutonica. Hansa Teutonica is a game that I can solidly teach in 10 minutes flat, be off and playing, and be completely done playing in an hour. It's designed by Andreas Stedding, Dennis Lohausen on art, published by Z-Man Games here in the U.S. What you're trying to do is every turn you have a couple of actions that you can do. You can unlock more as the game goes on, but you're doing just very simple things like trying to establish trade routes by placing little merchants out there. And then when you complete a trade route, you can put a trading post in each of those little towns, which creates a network and you get some points for that at the end of the game for the biggest network that you have. Some of them unlock more powers like being able to do more actions or unlock different buildings or give you a different class of worker that are more powerful. and it's always a push-pull. Do I take the little upgrade spiff or do I increase my network with the victory points? I don't know. Hard to say. Game is over extremely abruptly when somebody hits 20 victory points. Like, it's not a finish the round or do another round. It's you're done right the second. So you may not even get to have your turn if somebody ends it right before you. A little bit of a point salad after that and uh, the game is done and wrapped up right after that. Jake, I love this game, man. Yeah, I played it a couple of times. It's I think pretty emblematic of that era of game 2011 2012 euros played up to five players right yep up to five really lightning fast turns you did your turns really quickly you did a bunch of them really interactive you're in each other's way in a way that's not as mean as like 18xx but way meaner than conventional modern day putting this in air quotes because we're talking like 2012 like it's forever ago nine whole years ago (laughs) And it was just great. I really like it. I get it. You're right. This game is mean, but it's 
it's mean in a very diplomatic fashion. Yeah, you're not saying nah nah to somebody when you stab them. Yeah, everybody's mean to everybody on literally every turn. So it just kind of becomes the cost of doing business. Well, you're in my way. Get out of my way. And I'm super grudgy in games and I don't get grudgy in Hans Teutonica. No. I think it's just something you just you just take it. It's like a tide. You let it wash over. You know, it's going to go away and you can go on someone else. And plus, when people are mean to you, generally speaking, like you actually get a little benefit for people being mean to you. So right, that also totally. makes it feel better. Like, OK, I got removed from what I was going to do and blocked, but I get but a little get bonus for cube. Yeah, I get an extra cube for nice. doing that. Yeah, no, I, I, I like Hans a lot. It's a good game. Again, another game with several maps. Definitely like them. It's hard to beat the original map, though. Yeah, I wonder if it's a game that's not that different between maps. So it's like, why play different maps on it, you know? Oh, it actually does change quite oh, really? a bit. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. The one, the, one, the one we played had some special, like those little dinner plate award things that are yep. permanently printed on the board. And you couldn't actually do some upgrades unless you claimed that little plate thing. Uh-huh. You had to like, claim that route, that C route. And then you could actually upgrade things. It uh, it got weirder well, for sure. I stand corrected. I'm a fan of Demacher. Good one. Hansa Teutonica. That's the joke. I get them confused. Ah, see, I told you, I told it's confused. It's, it makes sense. You are just a, I don't know what the term is for like Germanophile when you're like really into Japanese stuff. You're a weeb. What is, what is it in German? You're a worst or something. (laughs) I think we just coined it if nothing else. There it is. Perfect. By the way, I would like to see a a head to head freestyle art rap battle between Dennis Lohausen and Clemens Franz. Why? Hansa Tukanica, Jake. Yeah, it's just a blonde dude. It's a really ugly blonde dude and kind of like, you know, weird force 3D. Yes, correct. It's very weird. This could go right on the shelf next to Orleans and they'd kind of... Uh, 100%. Very weird. Ugly Euro dude. So that's Hansa Teutonica number 11. Speaking of ugly dudes on the cover... You can't say what? that anymore. We have a new version. Well, I don't own the new version, Jake, so I can still say it. I know. We're old, Mark. We're, we're hipsters. We're board game hipsters. I beheld the new version last weekend, Jake, and I I resisted. It was hard, though. The old shoulder at the board game store? Yeah, yeah, I've thought about doing it too. I love this game so much, but I don't know if I can do it. Um, we're speaking of the absolute masterpiece by Alexander Fister being Great Western Trail. With the constipated cowboys on the cover. The CC version. <laughs> That's very yeah, the first the first edition is three very constipated looking cowboys on the cover. Well, the first and second. The new version's beautiful. I really covered it. Do I seventy dollars covered it? Hmm. Yeah, it's one of those games where hmm. like I think it's one of those things I might be doing a call soon. And if I call and get like money, I might just reinvest it in buying this new version and then giving GWT to like Tyler or somebody like that. You know, Nick, you know, somebody who's going to like it. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, I I don't need the money from it. I don't want to like trade up like I sometimes do with 18xx games, but I just would like the newer version. However, I don't think it comes with Rails to the North and I am team Rails to the North. Hmm. So we'll have to see. I, I do know. I do know that it was uh, they were supposed to up, have an upgraded version of that as well. It was came with like the Kickstarter, weren't they? Was this a Kickstarter? That was just they published it. Hmm. We're out I, of our game, dude. We're talking out of our butts I know, here. I know. Uh, Jake, tell us a little bit about what Great Western Trail is about. We've just been yakking at it, and like, who hasn't seen this game? But for those who haven't, right? So Great Western Trail is a. Uh, Technically a deck building game where you are different cowboys taking your little cows. Oh, it is not. It's a Rondell game. Yeah, correct. Moving on a Rondell from somewhere (laughs) to Kansas City and you go to different action spots and you can build different action spots and you can do different stuff at the action spots. And then there's like hazards along the way and you're trying to collect cows and do all this cool, fun stuff. At the end, kind of everything you do gets you points and whoever did the best at cowboys wins cowboys. And it's fun. The embedded joke there is it's kind of both of those things, and this game shouldn't work. It really shouldn't. Right. It's literally everything. It's like every mechanism. 
It's an engine builder. It's a rondelle game. It's a deck builder. It's a financial game. It shouldn't work, but it does. It's a race. It's a race <laughs> it's game. A race game. Yep, 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 yep. This is one we've both played a bunch of times. We kind of notoriously had the rules wrong for about the first half dozen times we played mm-hmm. it, but I think we got that sorted out finally. I would like to report that I'm good at this game, by the way, now. <sighs> I don't think I've ever won this game. I think I have like a decent amount. I was playing it a good amount when we were getting back into things. And yeah, I got 70 points, not a very high score, but my opponents got 53 and 14. So I am the best. And before that, I won with 80. I'm doing well. I'm doing happy. I'm I'm good again. Feels good. Yeah, I'm looking this up right now. Great Western Trail. Let's see. How many times have I played this one and how many times have I won? I have played this nine times total with 15 different players. And my win percentage is zero. Oof. Pain. <laughs> so I, I guess you can never, never, never. Well, let me look this up. Have I never won this one? No, I have definitely never won this game. You know, so you cannot accuse me of only liking games that I'm good at. Hmm. So Great Western Trail actually down two spots. I rated it at number eight this year. But, you know, functionally, is there any difference between eight and ten? No. <laughs> no, it's, just, it's the same. It's, it's the same tier. I view anything like under five as just kind of a readjustment because you could also go through and massage list and say, I like GWT more than number nine, but I don't really think we have anything to say on GWT. We talk about it all the time. Love this game. So number nine is also one that's down two spots from last year. Those of you that have been complaining that I just don't have enough Uva Rosenberg representation on this list. Here you go, my friends. Uh, Number nine is Agricola. That's not how you pronounce it. It's Agricola. Agricola. You know, that really messed me up. I was in Italy a couple of years ago and there are actually like that just kind of means agricultural. And so you'd see like Agricola mm-hmm. stores all over the place. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was like, yeah, Agricola. I went to technically horticulture school, like the, the food science school at my, at my university was formerly the horticulture school. So a lot of the buildings say horticulture on them. And I didn't even know what Agricola was. I'm so embarrassed. It was so long. I pronounced it Agricola for a long time. <laughs> It literally just means agricultural in Italian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so why is this one so high on my list versus a lot of other Uwe Rosenberg games? I've been explaining it like this way. I, I still love me some Uwe Rosenberg games. I still love farming games. I think everything should be turned into a farming game at this point. Like I want Cthulhu Sheep Farmer I was talking about earlier today. I think that'd be right. awesome. But the reason I specifically like Agricola in the big field of farming games is that I think this is a game that if played properly with drafting out the different cards, you could play a thousand times and never play the same game twice. This is the best Desert Island game. I don't think you could ever really get good at this game. There's so many unbelievable combinations of this one, good, bad, and otherwise. The combinations of cards that develop the game are profound, right? Like Hellertau has cards in it, but those are all just little spiffs. They're not, they don't warp the game. The cards that come in Agricola are almost like glory to Rome level warp with the game. Like if mm-hmm. you get the right combination of cards together in Agricola, you absolutely smash people. Mm-hmm. And it's not that long of a game. You can bang it out in like 45 minutes. Yeah. No, some would claim that that is a minus to the game that you can do that. But it's really when you're drafting things and you know the cards and have developed a level of mastery, it, it it's hard to do that. It's not just an automatic, hey, hey, I got the two cards that I'm going to win with and nobody can stop me. Because guess what? The other guy probably has a different two card pair because you didn't draft the things that he took. Absolutely. So I think there's there's a there's there's a notion of high level play in Agricola that doesn't exist in a lot of other games. Again, this is a game that I don't feel I'm ever going to master. Yeah, completely agree. 
Therefore, it becomes kind of a desert island game. And, you know, any game that's a desert island game that I could play forever automatically finds its way to my top 10. Absolutely. You said you played it only once. Man, we need to play it more. I probably played it twice. I've played it less than five times for sure. Probably less than three. Yeah, and I haven't played it near enough times. I've I played it. I did get in a bunch of online plays over COVID. So I did get a bunch of reps on that one. So, you That's know, I'm kind of coming from a position of knowledge on this. Gotcha. So it's Agricola designed by Uwe Rosenberg. His kind of first breakout hit, I think 2007. Formerly number one on Board Game Geek for a long time. Formerly, absolutely. So Mark, when people ask you, what is your favorite midway euro? What do you say? My favorite midway euro? Uh, Yokohama, because that's your number eight. I was desperately trying to come up with a smart aleck answer there. There's no smart aleck answer because uh, every game above this, I would describe as not a midway euro. <laughs> okay. I see where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is your last midway euro. I mean, cause we had Hanzo, yep. we had great Western trail, Orleans, Orleans, maybe, you know, um, we had like Barat and no, Barat is too heavy. Twa. So this is your favorite one, this Yokohama. That has to definitely, be your favorite. Definitely so. Yeah, I, I was really trying to come up with something uh, saucier than that. But um, no, it's yes, just fun. Yo- it's fun to by, think. By you, the numbers, Yokohama is definitely my favorite midway Euro. Mm-hmm. Up seven points from last year, mainly due to the reason I feel it stood the test of time. You know, I played the other kissing cousins to it, namely Istanbul, which is kind of a lighter and faster, racier version of it. I've also played the kind of heavier, thinkier, Airship crunchier City. version of it, Nairship City. And... At the end of the day, Yokohama just hits the notes that feels good. Kind of the right length of time. It's sort of the right level of thinky. It's beautifully produced. And like, I don't know anybody that doesn't love this game and will play this anytime. I think we've kind of polluted everybody around us to just love this game as well. So anytime Yokohama comes out, everybody knows how to play it and play is going to happen at a pretty good level. If you'll allow me, I think the analogy for this game is like a burger. Like Mm. Yokohama is just like everything's in balance and it's good. It's not pretentious. You're not doing like smoked ketchup or anything on it. Just regular, regular sauce, regular condiments made really well. Good ingredients made it the right way, the right time for you. And you know what it is and it's good. The only thing I find frustrating about Yokohama, Jake, the fact that my wife is dramatically better than me at it and (laughs) I cannot beat her anymore. That's funny. Yeah, you just got to race. You can't be distracted in this game. It's a game you got to make sure you're always focusing on the thing and assessing if you're winning or not. I've also had the experience over the past uh, few months of playing Yokohama Duel, the game I never thought I was actually going to get, but was delivered to me. R.I.P. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fan. It worked out well. Like, it hits all of the Yokohama notes. Like, all the things that you expect to have an experience of Yokohama are all there, yet it streamlines it and polishes it into a two-player experience that lasts in less than an hour and is beautifully produced. So. Yokohama Duel ended up also kind of reminding me like why I love the Yokohama franchise so much. Was that the last game that they delivered, DMG? I believe it is. RIP. Wasn't there another Kickstarter that was coming out about the same I have time? no idea. They did that Japanese or the, the, the Japanese game about yes. China. Yes, yes, yes. That yes, yes, I yes. actually Emperor's sold to choice. you. Yeah, yes. which, which I sold to you. And but, still haven't played. <laughs> yeah, but anyway. Why would we? Because Yokohama is your favorite midway Euro. For sure. It's never going to trump it. Number eight, up seven from last year. It was number 15 the year before. Yokohama by who? Hisashi Hayashi. We love him. I think actually, according to geekgroup.app, Hisashi Hayashi is my highest rated game designer. I think he's in the top three for sure. Interesting. I think mine's Scott. (laughs) Speaking of Scott, we're referring to Scott Peterson of, of All Aboard Games. I was reminded of Scott Peterson last night for a couple of reasons. Number one, I ran into his brother. And number two, I played a game that he publishes, 1849, The Game of Sicilian Railways. 
Ooh. The first of the, whoops, spoiler, first of the 18XXs on my list. Just played this one last night. Taught a couple of friends how to play it because I, I kept claiming this is my favorite 18XX game. You lied. I lied. It isn't. It is up 32 is what it is. I mean, it was all the way down at 39 last year. It's at seven now. Desert Island game for a game that's short and kind of not that hairy and doesn't play a ton of people. Man, this one hurts my brain because the decisions that are made around how to build railways in the rough terrain of this island of Sicily are nearly endless. See, it's so funny. I'm feeling nearly the exact opposite about this. I am bored of this. I feel like the decisions are always the same and it's always bad and I know it's going to play out. And I will play it under very specific circumstances, but I have so many other fast games I'd rather play. That's a fair take. And I think I probably have some um, nostalgia around that. This is one of the very first 18xxs I've played. Mm-hmm. So, And I've probably played this one more than any other game. I think I've played more 1849 than anything else. It's up there for me, for sure. It's probably 46 in this. Yeah. Some Having said that, some really weird things happened last night. Like I successfully suitcased a company in Messina before it blew up and closed it that. before it blew up and uh, bought myself a 10 train. And Well, did you suitcase it or did you just let it die? No, I straight up suitcased it, man. I, oh, I didn't even get a route. Wow, good for you. Didn't even get a route. I, that's why I put it up in Messina. I never laid a single tile. Because I've done the Messina early run thing and then just be like, I'm going to spend all my money and not give a shit and move pivot to something else when it dies. Yeah, no, I um, funded it, didn't build a route, had it go back twice, issued all the shares, bought a big train that I could buy from my other company and then sold down all the shares into the clothes box. It was perfect. Awesome. I've never successfully done that before. So even though I lost badly, I felt good about that. Hmm. And just the fact that silly plays like that exists also makes me enjoy the game. Very cool. I I like 49. I like the extended map. I'd like to play that again sometime in person, but I still have never played that, which it was my babbling that caused it to come into existence and I still have never played it. <laughs> Stupid COVID. Oh, well, someday. Uh, soon. Yes, I really want to play that. We're referring to, what is it? 1849, the Kingdom of Two Sicilies? That Something like that. I don't, yeah. I don't know the formal term for it, but it's the bigger 1849. Because I have some complaints with the map in 1849. It just seems like there's one too few okay companies. There's a couple of good ones. There's like some that are like okay, but can be good. And there's a couple that are just dog crap. That's 1849. Up 32 from last year. A big jump. It's possible that one ended up extra high because literally I did this last night right after I got home from playing it and had such an awesome play. No, I get it. You like this game. I, I would say this is a game that you like. If I were to choose, like, I knew I was playing 18X with Mark, I would put this one high on the list of games that you'd really like to play pretty much every single time. I think that's fair. Yeah. All right, number six. Number six, and we're really getting into the all-star games right now. And honestly, any of these next six games are all games that are my absolute favorite games in the world and will play anytime, anyplace. This one is always tough because do you pick it higher than its cousin or do you pick your cousin higher? I don't know. They flip-flop from last year. I'm at number six. I've got Brass Lancashire. Um, down one spot for last year. It was a number five, a top five from last year, but no tarnish has developed on the brass, shall we say. Hmm. And the controversy being, which one's better, this one or Birmingham? You know, Board Game Geek would say that Birmingham is better, but brass is still uh, among old school players still preferred because it's tighter, it's meaner, <laughs> there's harder decisions to make, and all of those things are true. And sometimes I'm in the mood for that, and sometimes I'm move- in the mood for the other one, which is a little, little gentler, but still really competitive and reward smart play. Brass is a game where you're playing out in the late industrial revolution, and you're really trying to build out both canal routes 
And then train routes in the second half of the game. You're trying to build up enough industry and ship their goods across those routes. And uh, all the while doing it in a very limited number of actions. In Lancashire, you're always in somebody's way. You're always doing something just before they get there or boxing them out of getting someplace where they need to be. And it feels like you're fighting over everything every single time. Played this a bunch during COVID. So, you know, I, I got a I got a pile of reps in this over since the last time we made this list. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's why it's pretty much held the spot that it's held. Yeah, this is the other one. If I were to choose Mark's, what do you call it? The Mount Rushmore of games. This one is absolutely on it. Some flavor of brass. This is a game that just keeps getting better every time I play it because I keep still unlocking new ideas. But I'm going to talk more about that later in my list. Don't ruin it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shocker to anybody else. All right. Number five, down two spots, but still top five. This is my favorite Uwe Rosenberg game. If I'm putting together the the, the big list of Uwe Rosenberg games, this one's number one for me. A bunch of plays have confirmed this one, and it's Le Havre. What's kind of funny about this is it's the most aspirational of the Uwe games, too. Because any one of his other games you can usually play, and we'll play it in an evening. Yeah. This is the only one where it's like, you know what, are we going to play it on a Wednesday night? I don't know, it takes a while. Even compare that to his other big box games, I mean, Feast for Odin, we'd play that no big deal on a Wednesday night, you know? Yeah, Le Havre, the normal game is long. It is long, it, long. it is the longest of the Uwe Rosenbergs in the normal length. They do come with a short length game. I have tried it a couple times. It's okay. Would I rather play a short game of Le Havre over pretty much anything else? Yes. Would I rather play the long game over the short game? Again, yes. But if my <laughs> choice is to play the short game or nothing, I'm definitely playing the short game <laughs> on that. So, gotcha. um, you know, and, and but even still, the short game is two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. The long game is probably closer to four. And I think that's what holds it back is that it can just, it can run long, which is funny because like, this is the shortest teach of any of the games as well. Like you, you can pretty much be off and running in under 10 minutes on this game. Completely agree. Yeah. I mean, I like this game. I'm surprised we don't play it more. That's why I'll stay on it. Cause I, I, I knew it'd be here at your list. I know this is your favorite Uve. I know it's the one you like the most. And I would say too, like this is a game too, that everybody in our game group agrees and enjoys. Like you're never going to get any pushback and say, Hey, you want to play Lahav? The only time anybody's going to nope on that is the, mm, do you think we have time to finish? That's the right. only thing that people are going to bring up. But at the same time, it's like, it's one of those games where, and I think it's another thing where like a lot of modern games, you're invested a lot, but you're not doing that much. So you like can't go away for a while. Lahav is a really easy game to do a bathroom break in. There's sometimes where it gets late in the game where like sometimes people are just taking a while for your turns and you just did your turn and you know, it's like that go around where you're going to be avoided and you say, oh, here's my food. You can go away. And it's 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 not always active, you know, like your brain gets a break. It's not like you're just grinding for like four hours in the same way you kind of would with like it's kind of actually the same way in 18xx because you're not always thinking. Yeah, well, and I would actually say, too, another thing I really like about Lahav is the fact that because of the fact it's sort of a rondelle type thing where you keep going through the track. It doesn't take long to get through that track. And a lot of the choices that you make are very easy. It's just literally a matter of do I take stuff or do I use somebody's building? You know, right. the decision on what building to use can take a while. But if you're just going to take some stuff, it's just a matter of, oh, just give me the uh, give me all the wood piles sitting there. Yep. And so there is a fairly high turn velocity associated with this game that mm-hmm. isn't the case in some other games. Completely agree. The other thing I love about Lahav is there there's a ver- there's some variability cooked into it, too. Like there's a giant pile of extra special buildings that come out that can really change the game that you only pick like three out of a deck of 50 or something like that. 
So you, you almost never see those same cards. So when they pop up, you're like, oh, that's interesting. And it puts a kind of a special spin on every single play. Very cool. Yeah, love it. Coming in at number five, that's Lahav. All right, number four. Number four is a game that I am currently playing and <laughs> pretty much that's have a this, game that's of this. That's why this recording's going so long. You're taking turns. <laughs> I'm actually taking turns while I'm doing this. No, um, it's a game I'm currently playing. It's a game that I have been continuously playing nonstop since about 2017. Not the same game, although some people would argue that it might be. This is 1822, The Railways of Great Britain, up 15 spots from last year. It was number 19 the year before. It's up to number four. This is definitely my favorite 18xx. I can I can so say that conclusively. Funny. So funny. You picked like the two 18xx's that I'm like not jazzed about. And is that hipsterism or is that do we genuinely have different tastes in 18xx? I think so. I mean, every time I try explaining to you about what I love about 1822, your eyes kind of glaze over and you just go, yeah, I don't like all the auctions. <laughs> it's and, not that I don't. It's not that I dislike it. It's just I'd rather play other games if it's a afternoon affair. I do like 1822 Mac for what it's worth. Yeah. So 1822 is a, is a typical play of this one is going to be six to ten hours. This is a full eh, day worth of playing. Five. Yeah. Well, five if everybody knows it and you go yeah, fast, yeah, yeah. but it'd it be can tough easily to do be eight hours easily, easily yeah, for sure. Tough to get in in an evening. This is a weekend game for sure. It is a kind of a unique game. It's it's a game that started like a new system inside of 18xx, one where there's an auction every round and there's stuff up for sale every single turn. And you now have to make decisions on the hmm, maybe I shouldn't spend every dime I have every turn. Maybe I should keep some for next turn. Because there's new stuff coming up next time, and I don't want to be broke when that comes up. And that's a different mindset than is normal for 18xx. There's, a, there's, there's the notion that you don't want to have money sitting in your mattress, but you do in this game. And that I like the fact that it turns that play style on its head. I also love the fact that because of all those bazillion things that you have to auction off, I mean, I think there's like 30 privates or something like that that all have unique powers. You're trying to create the perfect Voltron to win the game. Mm-hmm. You're trying to assemble the right combinations of these little mini companies to merge into a bigger company at the perfect time to create an absolute monster. And the combination of getting the right things at the right time and assembling them at the right time is such an interesting puzzle and almost a Euro engine buildery in nature. And I love that about it. And Fortunately, have found a crew of people that love playing it as much as I do. So we just keep chaining it one game right into the next. And we know the game well enough that actually these interminably long auction rounds go super quick for us now. Because you're so used to them. Notoriously online, the first round of this game would take weeks. And I think we got through it in three days. (laughs) It was kind of a non-event. It happened so fast. Awesome. Speaking of trading up for better copies of games with Great Western Trail, I definitely did that with 1822. I had one of the OG 18. all aboard games copies of it that as soon as they announced a reprinting with better art i sold my copy immediately because it was out of print for exactly what i needed to do to buy the new copy of it and i have this really pretty new copy sitting here that's never been played and i would like to change that down to play it anytime in person dude absolutely fine i played 22 max i played really any 22 they're all the same it's kind of just a whether or not we actually have the time to play the big big baddie but yeah, it's just weird. It's not like I even dislike them. You chose the two that I'm like that you you actually didn't choose the hipster picks. The hipster picks would have been the ones I dislike, which aren't that many. But you chose the ones that are like the mid tier where I'm like, I'd like to play them. That's fine. I do definitely think we we like different things in 18xx. And That's I couldn't fair. even I couldn't even categorize it in terms of 
like, well, I really like operational games where I build a lot of track because those two games could not be more different. 1849 and 1822 are at polar opposite ends of game of play style. Right. And, and in a larger sense, I think that dichotomy is stupid. And I hate it in the 18xx community of like, is this financial or operational? I think it's just dumb. Yeah. It's stupid. I mean, all games have every aspect of it. And at certain points in the game, it matters and does it depending on how you can do it. You can have a really operational game of whatever, 1889. You can have a really financial one, whatever. It's just, it's stupid. I don't know. I always found that annoying. If you look across my top 50 and the other games that are in there, like almost none of these are similar to each other. Like I definitely don't, I don't have a type. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's just interesting that your two gems are probably the only two games that I'm not like big fans of that I've played a decent amount. And uh, I'd say I played 1822 a decent amount. I've I've firmed an opinion on it. Hey, it's okay that we all have our own tastes. It's just fine. I just thought it was funny. Just very funny. So anyway, that's my number four pick, The Railways of Great Britain, coming in at number four. All right, number three. Number three is a game I have just recently played as well. I played this on Saturday night, Jake. Did I tell you about this? Yeah, you did. This is the other brass. This is Brass Birmingham. You know, I think every year, Jake, these two are probably going to flip flop back and forth, back and forth, because I have such a hard time picking between which one I like better. Brass Birmingham is the newer one that is a little Euroier, a little more open, a little more freewheeling, a little less mean. Mm-hmm. But I have played this twice in the past month. Once was with uh, Steven Peterson, Scott Peterson's brother. And absolutely squashed me like a grape. I can't (laughs) even explain to you how badly he beat me, but he taught me a few things. I Mm -hmm. I was, I very, I I was very astutely watching what he was doing and why he was beating me as badly as he did. And I put those into practice on Saturday night. (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) Oh yeah. I had a, uh, I had the best game I have ever had in my life of brass Birmingham and won by like 45 points or something like that. It was, it was epic, but. This is a game, again, about building canal networks and rail networks in the Industrial Revolution in England. This time, though, like I said, it's a much bigger map. And, hey, you need beer to make the deal. So there's kind of an additional resource that you're trying to cook up every time. It's just so funny. Why did they choose beer? I don't know. Like, obviously, they they drank a lot of beer back in the day. I'm not not saying it's not like historically accurate, but it's just like, why would you go from, what is it, ore? It's it's iron ore, coal, coal. And then they just went... Beer. They didn't do like textiles or like manufactured goods. Well, I well, guess those are kind of captured in the building. Yeah, those are things. Yep, definitely. But in terms of raw materials, I mean, they didn't do clay. Clay. You know, they had to do beer. Maybe historically, hundreds of breweries popped up in that area because the water wasn't was so polluted it wasn't safe to drink, and therefore it was safe to drink when it was made into beer. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Well, I'm happy to hear that in general, you're Team Jake, because in these two games, Brass Birmingham and Brass Lancashire, my slight preference is for Birmingham. So it's nice that you are Team Jake again, after betraying me with your 18xx selections. (laughs) It's a good number three. Very good pick. Speaking of Team Jake. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. Number two. Number two is Mm -hmm. up two from Mm -hmm. last year. Mm -hmm. It should be number one. Maybe, Jake, I'll tell you what. If you do your list, you can make it number one. Oh my gosh, I can do that? You can. You have the ability. It is not my number one, but it's number two. <laughs> that's, it's up there. That's, that's awfully good. And it's funny. Like I have a, I, Being that this is my number two game, you'd think I'd want to play it more often than I do. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I've called Cap a few times, and I'm trying to not get fighty about this. Because um, <laughs> it's your list. It's your, your time. But I, 
I'm a little hurt that it's this high. You know what I mean? Like knowing that you'd want to play it this often or should want to play it this often based on the fact that it's your number two favorite game. The game that we're talking about is the is the classic by anybody's definition, Age of Steam. Again, a desert island game that could be played infinitely, never mastered, hundreds of maps to it. I mean, this game is is absolutely perfect. If it's my second favorite game on Earth, why don't I want to play it more than I do? Great question. Part of it is I'm afraid of it. It's the only game on this list that I'm I go into with a healthy dose of trepidation every time I play it that you can have a bad experience. You can have a bad experience playing this game. So I got to I got to kind of put my big boy pants on when I go play Age of Steam. And I got to kind of realize that this might not go well and it might be a bad night. And so I think there's a a dose of nervousness walking into it. I think that's it. There's a dose of the fact that there is a level of mastery possessed by some of my friends, which is far beyond what I have. So I'm not always up for signing up for two hours of getting kicked around, which happens. (laughs) And you are at a weird point because you haven't played as much as Nick and I, and I haven't played as much as Nick. Right. But yet you've played so much more than everybody else. Yeah, so I'm kind of in that, uh, I probably am not going to go bankrupt, but I'm also probably going to get my butt kicked by you and Nick. You're worst and, of the best, but best yeah, of the worst. Best of the worst, worst of the best. So, you know, that's another reason that maybe I've got a few games that I kind of have that relationship with where I'm like, it's a great game. I can't say anything bad about that game. Everything's perfect about it, but I don't want to play it because I'm just going to get beat up. Mm. I think that's part of it. So I'm I'm putting it at number two because I'm reflecting on what a masterpiece it is and how much fun I've had every single time I've played it. But realizing the fact that there's some baggage that comes along with it that, you know, I've certainly overcome. Like, I'm never going to say no to a game of Age of Steam, but maybe don't want to play it every single game. Yeah, it's interesting. I would say you wouldn't say no to Age of Steam, but if we're in a situation where we're breaking into two tables, which is usually the only way the Age of Steam happens, you could run a different game or you could play Age of Steam with Nick and I and Dennis, for example, you'll probably run a game if that's fair. But if it's a small group, yeah, yeah that, that, there's some other variables there, right? I mean, because if true, you're going to go true. off and play Age of Steam and you're leaving a group of people that don't really have games and don't know well, how if to they teach did. anything. Fair, fair, fair. Because even if they did, they don't. Have, yeah, yeah, you have some obligation. I do feel a little custodial responsibility to the game group and making sure that, mm. you know, games are run and have fun. So I think that's sometimes why I don't join in it, because I'm looking at the other group going, kind of have to run something here. Gotcha. Well, I'd like to play it more. I mean. I would live in a world where I only bring Age of Steam to every Wednesday and that'd be fine. Yeah. And I, and I bring a bunch of maps and depending if people want to play it, I can flex up or flex down or whatever. Well, that thought kind of extends out to, I know we just had Age of Steam Con a couple of weeks ago and mm-hmm. I kind of, my, my, my gut initial thought was, ooh, great game, but could I play it for an entire weekend? But then I also forgot the fact that it almost was like a class reunion of some of my favorite gaming people all getting together for the weekend. Like, And just to clarify, we did not go. We didn't go. And I heard the list of people that were in attendance and I was just like, oh, 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 I would have, oh, oh, man. <laughs> and just even like, I don't care what we were playing with the group of people that were there. I would have loved to have hung out with that group of people. So totally my, my friends that were at Age of Steam Con, I'm sorry I missed you. Maybe some year in the future. Yeah, totally. I th- I could totally play it every single weekend for long periods of time. I think it'd be hard to know that you're with a group of people that could do 18xx and knowing that you're doing Age of Steam. But I think putting yourself in the right mentality, I think I could do it for sure. Well, and if I were there, I would go down the route of playing all the wacky maps too. I'd be, you know, if somebody's right. like, hey, 
you want to play this weird human body thing where Jake, you get to be the penis and uh, Mark, you get to be the left knee. I'm like, okay, let's do it. Why am I the penis? Why aren't you the penis? <laughs> I could be the walrus. I don't have to be. Must be the wiener. Yeah. Well, for, so for those not familiar, there are some really weird Age of Steam maps. That- See, if I were to go, I would play Rust Belt with people who are really good at it and just, just, just witness them. You know what I mean? Just get slapped around just and just be like, oh, cool. So that's how you lose. Fun. Cool. <laughs> By a lot. <laughs> so anyway, that is my number two choice, Age of Steam. By Martin Wallace slash John Bohr. Yep. One of those two people designed it in some percentage point compared to the other. And Who knows? they seem to have agreed that it's Martin Wallace, or at least money was exchanged to prove that point. Not sure which. I thought money was exchanged to prove that it's not Martin Wallace. Hmm. I don't know. I don't care. It's a good Either game. Way. Just play. It doesn't matter. My number one game is the exact same as last year. My number one game still remains Tichu. And why is a little card trick-taking game my number one game in front of that murderer's row of incredible Euros, financial games, heavy games, auction games, and everything else? Well, it's because there is not one game on this list that I've had more fun playing and lit up more brain cells and had more laughs with my family and friends than the game of Tichu. I've played it a lot of times, and every time I play it, there's no mastery to this game. Like, you understand kind of the conventions of it, but every hand is so unique. It's really hard to find the path through what's the right way to craft that hand and play it out to achieve your goals. And by the way, how are you going to pass the information to your partner so that they're going to do what you want? And uh, the, the amount of decisions, the amount of gameplay, and the number of reps makes this easily both my most played and most loved game of all. Yeah, I mean, you have the perfect size family for it. I've said it a thousand times. You can divide it any way between you and your family, and it's fun. You can do guys versus girls. You can do kids versus parents. You can do the opposite. And it's so much fun. My kids have gotten so good at the game, too, that, you know, it, there's no guarantee that Heather and I paired up are going to beat our kids. They've gotten amazingly great at this game. You have a pitch group or a pitch club or 500 or whatever. Yeah, it will completely. Or bridge, you know. That's kind of what this game's begun for you, right? By the way, I got to tell you a little funny anecdote. My daughter's gotten a little salty about Tichu because on my son's birthday, we were in the Boundary Waters last year and um, it was raining. So we were sitting in the tent playing Tichu and my daughter had to get up and run to the bathroom like right as we were dealing cards. And I don't know why, but all of us decided to feed her the perfect hand and not say anything. Like We purposely spiked her hand with a bomb and a royal flush. and so funny. (laughs) And didn't say anything. And we just purposely kind of like arranged the cards. So we dealt it out so it was that way. She picked up her hand and she has no poker face. You know, she just starts giggling and she cannot help herself. She was just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. We finally told her this year about that. She was so mad. She's like, you did not! I can't believe you did that to me. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so evil, I feel a little, but awesome. I feel a little bad about robbing her of her triumph, but uh, it was it was extremely That's funny. That's so funny. When I was in middle school, there was the poker phase. You remember that in like 2003? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so me and my friends got super to like digital poker, but not like for money, just like playing stupid, like absolute junk programmed um, video games. And I think back on it, I'm like, how many great hands did I waste on being 13 and having no money on the line? You know, and I wonder if I like burned all my good luck from back in the day. And so maybe yeah. you did the opposite for Elizabeth. You took from her a good experience. So she knows she's owed one now. You know what I mean? This is some That's degenerate gambling justification. I don't know if you can tell. I'm the listeners at home. <laughs> 
The other thing too, which you haven't seen yet, I got the Italian version to teach you. Oh, is it nice? Gorgeous! Super oh, cool. it's so beautiful. It comes with a nice little embroidered bag. Um, the cool. artwork is way nicer than the standard dumb little stronghold version of it or whatever we have locally. Oh man, it's beautiful. And the other funny thing is, did you know I didn't until just this second? Did you know that there's a game called Teach You Deluxe that came out in 2019? No. Work together with your teammate in this expanded version to teach you. Why? What are they hmm. doing, man? People are weird. Stop. I've never Stop. heard of this thing. I don't know what this is, but... Um, if it's different, then dumb. Oh, you know what? I've, I've heard the, of, that there's a Korean version of this one, and this one's published in Korea. So I bet that this is just the Korean version of T2. Korean, and they just like a bad translation or something? <sighs> Crap. No, I got another version I have to get a hold of. <laughs> That's my thing now. I'm collecting all the different weird versions of T2. Super cool. All right. Well, that's that's awesome, man. I mean, this is your game. It works perfectly for your family. It's the game you play. I mean, Teach You is Mark Teske. If you were to get a board game tattooed on you, I guess you'd put this game on you. I do have some fantasy of the two of us with a couple other people that have played it a bunch playing and getting really good at it, too. I don't know when that's going to happen, but I have a fantasy about that. That'd be sweet. Yeah. Now, there's a 25 pound omission on this list that I do need to address. I'm going to address the elephant sized box in the room called Gloomhaven. You notice Gloomhaven wasn't in my top 25. Well, you don't do games that are over 20 pounds. I don't do games that are over 20 pounds. No, I, I legitimately put this game at game zero. It's kind of, I don't know. It got like disqualified for being too good. It won the award, so it got disqualified and it had its number retired. It's hanging up in the rafters now. Yeah, we're, we're still as a family having an awesome time with Gloomhaven. And I couldn't find situations where it even made sense. Like, how do you compare Teach You to Gloomhaven? It's such a different experience. It's impossible. You just can't. Yeah, it, it made no sense. And it was basically just objectively going to win everything, even though the comparisons didn't make sense. So I just decided to put it on its own little pedestal over there and just said, you know, you're king for life. Mm. <laughs> now let's go do a list that yeah, makes it's, sense. It's, it's, it, it's the same thing. Like, how would you put D&D &D on this list? Right, right. Exactly. Right. Because, I mean, certainly there are amazing experiences of D&D &D that far outweigh some of these other experiences. But how do you compare Azul versus playing D&D? &D? Right. And Gloomhaven is a board game, but it's a lot closer to D&D. It's &D like yeah. 1846. It's you know an adventure I mean? that you're playing out. And right, 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 right. I do wanted to call that out. We still are, man, we've been playing it forever and still are not very far through it. Like we're still on our original, the original core characters. Although we have advanced up to like sixth or seventh level, so we can kind of do some crazy powerful things now. And we're getting close to somebody retiring soon. But uh, especially now that we're getting tough enough that we can walk in and do stuff and have powerful spells, it just continues to up the ante on how much fun that game is. Super cool. That's the honorary number zero Gloomhaven. So anyway, that's my list. That's my top 20 for the year. It'll be anxious to see, Jake, how this compares versus yours. Yeah, it'll be fun. Give something for the, the listeners to look forward to. See the correct list in a couple of weeks. I'm predicting more 18s in your list. Yeah. I mean, I've, yeah. I think it's a little bit more of the moment because I've been playing a lot less 18xx. And I kind of have this rant about 18xx.games. I don't love it, man. I don't play as well on it. I feel like I'm not really playing the games. Like there's a certain type of game that works on there. And so I think it's kind of negatively impacted my opinion on 18xx games. There's still a bunch in the list. It's about half, but they're not as high as I think they would be if I didn't have dot games. Sure. Sure. 
Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I mean, there was no replacement for playing 18xx in person last night. Oh my. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just so much better. It's just so much better. So yeah, no anyway. question about that. So for me personally, I'm I'm not trying to disparage anything that Toby and the crew have done. They've done a great no, job. But no, it really is a masterwork. And you know, I have nothing but thanks for the experiences I've had on there. But it's a you know methadone treatment for the real thing. Completely agree. All right. Well, that sounds great. We've been recording for a while and don't want to stretch them out for too long. But this was a pretty good list, man. So yeah, it was. It, it's hard to believe it's been a year since the last time we've done this list, and you know, it's it's always fun to go back and recap and see where we're at in a different place this time, Jake. And you know what? Let's make a point of getting yours in much sooner next time. Absolutely, sounds great. Yeah, I think your list did exactly what I thought it'd do. To be honest, a couple of the, the really good euros kind of dropped because there's a few good new ones that came in, and there's a couple of like old classics that popped up. So that makes sense to me. Like, if I were to guess what your group, your list would do, that's kind of it, so. Yeah, I was super happy with my list overall. Once I got through it, saw what popped up in there, I went, yep, yep, that's, that checks uh, out. That's, that checks, that checks out. out. That's pretty much right on, so. Awesome. All right, well, I'll talk to you later, bud. This was great. Sounds good, Jake. Hey, for the Gaming Moguls, I'm Mark. And I'm Jake. Good night, everybody. This has been the Gaming Moguls Podcast, co-hosted by Mark Teske and Jake Klopfenstein. Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram and Twitter, at GamingMoguls. Or reach us via email, jake at GamingMoguls.com or mark at GamingMoguls.com. If you like the Gaming Moguls podcast, please tell a friend. Thanks for listening.